Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. A couple of other quick announcements to make you aware of. We are continuing with our Christmas outreach. And uh, I know that even before today, we had enough cards where we're going to be able to take care of the fire department. Yay. Hallelujah. So the next, I believe, 40 cards that we get, and I believe we'll have them by today, we now get to bless the West Chase uh, Houston Police Department that patrols this area. Hallelujah. Excited about that. And then next, we're going to go and we want to take care of the uh, A Leaf Independent School District Police Department and their dispatchers. Amen. And these are the people that are in our backyard that minister to us, that protect us, that while we're out sleeping, you know, that's that thin blue line that, uh, that is all the way around us that protects us. And so we want to honor them. That is our Christmas outreach this year to be a blessing to those that go before us. Secondly, uh, we had a great men's meeting on Friday night. Uh, all the guys, everybody that was there, we had a good time. Amen. Uh, Pastor Mike brought a great message. And then uh, we were also able to announce an upcoming um, class that we're going to provide. As many of you know, I did a sermon several weeks ago about entering your promised land, and we talked about one of the five things that kept Israel out of the promised land was sexual immorality. And uh, I, I, I talked a lot about pornography and the effects of it and all those types of things and gave a lot of statistics. And uh, the, to me, the most damning statistic that I read that morning was that only 7% of churches have an outreach to help people that are struggling in this area. How can I get up and preach a message about that, but not offer a way out or some light or some help for those that are struggling in that area? So I am pleased to announce that on January 16th, Saturday morning from 9 till about 1030 for 10 Sundays, 10 Saturdays in a row, we're going to be doing a freedom class and we are going to help men get free. Amen. And uh, we're very, very excited about this. It's open to any man in the room. Young men, uh, I, you know, you would think that this would be an older generation, but really the people that are getting hit the most are our young men. And uh, with uh, the proliferate, proliferate, the internet's bad. <laughs> How's that? And because everyone has phones and tablets and the accessibility of it is so easy, that even our young, you know, you, I, I could give you statistics that would just, you just, I just start to cry when I think of these young men and women that are getting exposed to this at such a young age. And uh, so we, we're going to do something about it. Amen. Amen. And so uh, men, if this is, um, you know, absolutely no one's going to raise their hand. I know that right now. <laughs> yes, pastor, that's me. No, but uh, we will have a sign up sheet in the back. Also, you can email the church. There is a $50 charge for the course. I do feel like you need to be invested in it, amen, so that you make sure that you come and that you're invested in what we're doing, that we're not just trying to placate something. We're really serious about this, amen? Secondly, I am looking for as many people that would be willing to pray, because I know that we can't do this without intercessory prayer. I know that we cannot do what we need to do without having men and women that maybe aren't going to be a part of the course, but will stand up and say, yes, pastor, I will commit to pray for those 10 weeks to pray over Mike and myself 
to pray over the people that are in the class because, you know, we're going to do some deliverance. Amen? And uh, so it's, it really affects the whole church. Maybe you're a man in the congregation and you're like, you know, I don't deal with that at all. Great. Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? Are you in an office? Are you a man? Because if you are, you are surrounded by somebody or something that is being affected adversely by an online addiction. And when I say online addiction, I'm not talking about gambling. Amen? So this is open to, if you just want to come and get information, this is a great class for you. Amen? And we're going to give you some tools and some things to help walk this thing out. Amen? Trust me, a church where the men are free, there's nothing we can't accomplish. There's nothing. There's nowhere we can't go. There's nothing we can't do because when you take the shame out, and shame is the number one thing that's associated with an addiction like that, it's shame. I want to live in the dark. I'm shameful. I, I don't want to look you in the eye. Men, this course will also help us identify and be able to see even in our own kids if they're dealing with it. Because there are telltale signs that we can learn to look for so that we can be proactive in helping them. Amen? Amen. So we're real excited about it. Men, you are, this is open for any man in the, uh, in the sound of my voice. And uh, we'll have a sign-up sheet or you can email the church and we'll get you connected with that. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay. Freedom is a wonderful thing. Amen? Freedom is a wonderful thing. As I was praying about this morning, you know, I've been, I, I like doing series and I like doing, you know, five steps into your promised land. And I like really just building on things and building on things. My dad's really good at just kind of doing a one-off every Sunday. Every Sunday it was fresh. It was something different and something new. I'm a little bit different. But as I was studying, I, was, I wanted to continue talking about, you know, if you had faith, you would say, or talking about mountain-moving faith. But the Lord said one word to me, humility. But I said, Lord, I'm good with that. And so I moved on and went back and started talking about faith. I said, no, nah, I'm good. I got this. No. Humility. There is such a movement to get people out of position all over the world with what's happened with COVID, with what's happening in our country right now. There are a lot of people that are getting pushed out of their position. And when you get moved out of your position, you're out of your position of blessing and protection also. So I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what do we do? What's the number one thing that we have to do to stay in position? And he simply said, just be humble. That's so simple, isn't it? There's nothing mind-blowing there that's not physics. There's nothing there that like, oh my gosh. But if we will just be humble. Now let me, let me back up just for a second. When I talked about that class, there were men in the room that were like, you know, man, that's me. I'm struggling. I'm really struggling in this area. I'm so thankful that we're going to do this. There were other men that were like, nah, I got this. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, everybody does it. My dad did it. His dad did it. It'll be okay. It doesn't affect anything. It's really helpful. It really kind of adds a little life to my marriage and to, to everything else. See, that's pride. Pride says, 
I can beat this thing on my own. A humble man says that I am powerless, God, without you over anything in my life. A prideful man can get moved out of position because he satisfies himself from himself. A humble person gets satisfied from above. If you want to always be in the right place at the right time with the right amount of money, with the right word for the right person in the right season, stay humble. God uses humble people. That's who he uses. You know, God never calls public speakers into the ministry. There's not a one of us that said, I really like getting up in front of people and talking about things. I really want to be a public speaker. Maybe I should be a minister. God does not use oratory skills as a prerequisite in order for you to be in ministry. Go back and look at Moses. Who does God use? Who does God use to do anything in the earth today? A humble person. If we will stay humble, if we will learn to live off of Him and let Him be our source, it will keep us in a place of humility and so that I'm always in the right place at the right time with everything that I always need. Let's look at James chapter 4, verse 16. James chapter 4, verse 16. It says, But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. Amen. How many of us want more grace in our life? Does everybody know what grace is? The, way, the best way that I can define grace is power, equipping, and anointing. How many of you want more power, more equipping, and more anointing in your life? Amen. How many, okay, how many of you want less? Is anybody going to raise their hand? No. God pours more power, more equipping, and more anointing onto a humble person but for a prideful person, they get less and less and less. And the less power, equipping, and anointing you have, the easier it is for you to get moved out of your place of position. The more pride I have, and we all know somebody that deals with a lot of pride. Of course, there's nobody in this room that deals with it. But we all know somebody. We all have that friend, right? that thinks that they know everything, they can answer every question, whatever you've done, you know, when you got a three-speed bike, they got a 10-speed bike, you know, when you went to New York for the weekend, they went to the moon, you know, there's always that one person in your life, you know, that it's just important for them to always, always, and you know what I found out that the most prideful people in the world are in reality the most insecure, because they don't know how to be satisfied. See, pride makes me compare myself to everyone that's around me. Pride, that's what pride does. Well, if you did it, I can be better. And over here, and I, I'm pride, I, I, whatever, I want to find out who's the alpha male in the room. I want to get next to that alpha male, and I want to be one step higher than him. That's what pride does. Pride always locates. 
Humility compare, will compare ourselves to Jesus. Guess what? Every time I compare myself to Jesus, he's always higher than me. Amen? I never get into a conversation with Jesus about who's more or who's less. Hands out, can we all say that Jesus, by far, will win every time, hands down? Amen? And when I learn to compare myself with him and not to compare myself with other people, I will begin to feel better about myself. See, a prideful person has an, an exaggerated picture of themselves because either A, no one ever encouraged them, no one ever tooted their horn growing up, therefore I will toot my own horn. They were not encouraged. They were not, uh, they were not helped in that area. And that prideful person, we're, we're teaching kids in sports. If you go back and you look at even what's happening with small children in sports, the things that these people are saying to each other in the midst of a basketball game, the trash that's getting talked, folks, those kids didn't just pick that up on their own. They were taught that. And see, people that are dealing with that void in their life, when they also don't know who they are, they're just passing it along to their children so that their children don't know who they are either. If you aren't, if, I, if you're not making enough, you need to talk bigger than you are. You need to inflate that ego and let people know that you're in the room. So I, I want to use this, one of my favorite stories is about David and about Saul. Can we just stop for a second? I'm really struggling right now and I don't know why. Thank you, Lord. Father... Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. I submit to you. Lord, we don't want to do anything that we're not supposed to do this morning. Father, I ask you to forgive me. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, it is life. It is health. I just ask you, Lord, for your great grace to do this this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I love the story of David and Saul. As you know that Israel, the first three kings of Israel, the first one was Saul, the second one was David, and the third one was Solomon. Amen. Two of the three had the kingdom given to them. Amen. Saul was chosen by Samuel. Israel wanted a king. God told them over and over and over, you do not want a king. It is a bad thing. They're going to take the best of your land, the best of your children, and uh, they're going to have an army, and they're going to impose taxes. You don't want this. God's plan for Israel was a theocracy. God was always going to be the head over Israel. But they fought. Everybody else has a king. I want a king. Finally, like Christmas, God got fed up with Israel about these kids asking for this thing, and he's like, fine, take it. You can have a king. And so they chose Saul. And everybody knows that Saul was uh, a tribe from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Kish. Uh, Benjamin wasn't the largest uh, tribe that there was, but Saul came from a very influential family. Saul was very, very tall. The Bible says he was very, very handsome. It also says that Saul went and he prophesied with the prophets, so he had spiritual gifting. The Bible says that Saul had all of these men that were called to him to actually help him and to serve him. Saul had it all, except he had one problem. 
he did not know how to receive instruction or correction. Amen? Humble people. We, how do I tell if I'm in humility or not? Do I receive instruction and am I correctable? That'll just check you out right there. If you really want to find out where you are in life, what, what happens when you hear the answer, the word no? When someone tells you no, that's going to check you out right there as to where you're dealing with pride or humility. When I go to my wife and I say, honey, I really want to do this. I think we should do this. And she's like, man, we're not on the same page. I have two choices. I either just go do it anyway, or I go back and I find out, Lord, what's the reason for not doing this? I can either be prideful or I can walk in humility. Every time I walk in humility, it always turns out well for me. Anytime I just try and force it through, it never works out well. Amen. A humble person is correctable and teachable. So we're going to pick this up in 1 Samuel 16, 17. So this is Saul. And everybody knows that Saul, one of the problems that Saul had was that you have to give Saul some grace. You know, Saul was chosen to be the king of Israel. He had no formal education in how to do this. And once you're made king, who is there in your kingdom that can even speak into your life that you would listen to? I'm the king. Saul had one person in his life that could speak into his life, and his name was Samuel. He was the prophet. But the problem was is that every time Samuel would speak into Saul's life, Saul would do the exact opposite. He wouldn't listen and do what Samuel said. Now, I personally believe that if you keep telling a person that you're chosen, that you're gifted, that you're called, and you have all these wonderful attributes, at some point, you're going to start believing your own press. I was chosen. If somebody came into my kingdom and started telling me how to do something, I would say, gee, I, I don't know. Uh, did Samuel come to anybody else and pour oil on their head? I don't see anybody else in the room. Oh, wait, it was me. And I think that Samuel, and I think, I'm sorry, I think that Saul just began to believe his own press. Because when he started off, when Samuel goes to anoint him as king, Saul says all the right things. He's like, who am I? I'm from the smallest kingdom, from the smallest tribe. Who am I that I have done this thing that you would pronounce this thing upon me? There was some humility in him when he started. The problem was that as, as he grew, instead of feeding off of being a leader and being there as a servant to serve Israel, what happens is, is he begins to serve himself. And then along comes David. Does everybody know that David was Saul's armor bearer before, Saul, before Goliath? Yes. They had had a relationship. When Saul finally does the last straw and the kingdom is taken away from him, Samuel goes and he looks for David. As soon as David is anointed the new king, the anointing leaves Saul. And Saul starts getting vexed by a distressing spirit. And so Saul makes this statement. He said in 1 Samuel 16, 17, So Saul said to his servants, Provide, look now for a man who can play well and bring him to me. And this is so cool in verse 18. 
A servant says, everybody says a servant says. A servant says, look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who was skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. How many of you would like somebody walking around saying these things of you to others? I want you to notice that a servant said this about David. The servant said, look, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Notice, David did not hang around the palace trying to get noticed. All David did was be busy about his father's few sheep. Now, there's another lesson in this for us to learn. Amen? Your faithfulness is also a sign of your humility. David did not look down on the fact that he was the youngest brother and that his sole job was to take care of his father's few sheep. Guess what David did? David worked those sheep like they were a thousand. He took care of them. He blessed them. And guess what? Guess where the lion and the bear showed up? when he was taking care of his father's few sheep. His preparation for being king was taking place on the backside of a pasture when nobody else was around him. See, he was just serving. We could flow into a helps meeting real quick. He was just serving, taking care of his father's few sheep. You know, if we would just learn to be satisfied in serving where we are, your place of promotion is there. It's not, no one's going to bring you into a great room and call you out and declare all these wonderful things over you. It's back there in the children's department on your hands and knees with two and three-year-olds. It's picking up all the goldfish that get grinded into the carpet. Some of your children are really good artists because I've looked at the walls back there recently and there's some amazing marker work that's taken place on those walls in the super kids. But if we will just be faithful. See, a lot of times we're told that if you want a promotion, you got to go out and you got to make it happen. You got to work this thing. You've got to get out there. You've got to put your name out there. You need to be first in line. And there is a wonderful, wonderful rule about being diligent in those types of things. Those are wonderful things. But true promotion always comes from God. And it comes out of being faithful where you are right now. Amen. I'm not a big fan of making minimum wage $15 at Burger King. Amen. I believe that if you're the best pickle person at Burger King and you throw yourself into being the number one pickle guy at Burger King, you're going to get promoted. It is a spiritual law that if you are faithful where you are, you don't need somebody else to set that. Why would I want to take my financial future and put it in someone else's hands. I don't want to be limited by $15. You're going to pay me $25 an hour because I'm the best pickle guy you've ever had at Burger King. When I do a pickle, oh, I do it right. People will come back wanting to know who cut that pickle and put it on my burger. Oh, it was me. I sign each pickle before it goes out. But if we will learn to be faithful where we are, I've played years of Little League Baseball with my children. I've coached lots of teams, coached hundreds of boys, been in many tournaments. 
And every year, a group of dads would come in, and that group of dads would look at our Little League as a stepping stone to what their children were going to do next. They never looked at it as a place to make an investment to where we could help a lot of kids. It was always about, what can you give to me so that my child can go on to the next thing and be better where he is there? And that's okay. But it always struck me that if we would just be faithful where we were, amen, we could do something that would be a greater good for a lot of people instead of trying to produce something that's only going to help a lot of one person and then we're just going to move on anyway. Amen? So be faithful where you are. David was faithful and a servant saw that he was um, um, gifted and talented and he was called to stand before Saul. Verse 21, 1 Samuel 16, and it says, So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. Does everybody notice that David loved Saul? You see that in verse 21? Now, jump ahead to 1 Samuel 18.5. This is after David killed Goliath. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Boy, just say behaved wisely. We could park and camp right there and behaved wisely. What if each and every one of us went and did what we were told to do and we behaved wisely? Amen. The world would be a much better place to live in today. That word behaved wisely simply means to understand. It means to be instructed and to be prudent and intelligent. Amen. David was teachable when it says that he behaved wisely. When Saul told David to go do X, Y, Z, guess what David did? X, Y, Z. He was teachable. He was correctable. All he did was what Saul asked him to do. Do you ever wonder jumping forward, you know, David had such an amazing life. And then we get into the the issue with Bathsheba. And next thing you know, he's trying to set up Uriah to be killed. And you're wondering, where did that even come from? It's the exact same thing that Saul did to him. When Saul saw that David loved Michael, his wife, Saul kept trying to send David into hazardous situations to try and get him killed. Amen? David never dealt with that. And so now as he's king, he's got the same situation. He does the very thing that he hated the most to one of his most trusted friends and tries to get him killed to cover up his mess. Amen. We got to deal with everything. We got to bring it all into the light, ladies and gentlemen. We have to bring it all into the light. So how do we get from David and Saul loving each other to verse 22 in 1 Samuel 18? I'm sorry, verse 9 in 2 Samuel Uh, I don't have that verse. And it says, so Saul eyed David from that day on. As soon as all the ladies started singing the song about Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands, it says from that moment on, Saul eyed David with suspicion. Amen. What happened? These are two men that loved each other. These were two men that were knit together. David was his armor bearer. David had not done one thing, 
Not one thing. He'd always done what Saul told him to do, but yet pride enters in to the heart of Saul, and now he's eyeing his very best friend, closest ally, the one that could have grown the kingdom and been an ally to him for the rest of his life, and it says it eyes him with suspicion. He lost the grace to be king. God gives grace to the humble, but he takes it away from the pride. Thank you, Lord. Humble people ask for help. Amen? Prideful people make excuses. Men, it is okay to ask for help. Amen? And we should have a safe enough place where we are comfortable in doing that. Ladies, you're, you're far better at this than we are. Amen? Amen. You know why? Because you have humility. Amen. We as men, we deal with pride at such a high level. Amen. I mean, it's just surrounded us all day. You know, we are, we are having to be compared to somebody all day, every day. And uh, it's, it's tough. Amen. It really, really is tough. What was that Mac Davis song that was back in the 70s and 80s? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. Now, why do I know that song? I don't know. One of my children was playing it the other morning, and I, I overheard it for the first time. Now watch. David, who was the most humble person, makes a mistake. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbath. But David remained in Jerusalem. And we've talked about this before. David was out of position. Where was David supposed to be? David was supposed to be with his army at war. He wasn't supposed to be back at the palace. Because he was back at the palace, because he was out of position, he was there when Bathsheba was there. The temptation was already there, and that set that whole chain of events in motion. I asked the Lord, what was David's sin? There's, there's nothing wrong with being a little tired, is there? That's not a sin, is it? David's sin was pride. When we take God's delivering power for granted... David had been living in such victory after victory after victory after victory after victory that he just finally said, you know what, I don't even need to be involved in this one anymore. I'm just going to take the day off. We can never take God's delivering power for granted. Amen? We can never, ever sit back and just rest on what he's done for us yesterday. There is fresh faith for us today. Every day there is fresh faith for us today. Every time that Israel had a battle, Israel never fought the same way twice. And the whole reason was is that God wanted them to get dependent on Him for the strategy for every battle. He wanted a fresh battle plan for each victory. 
And what David said was, is I will rely on something that God did in the past, and I won't use my faith to be a part of it. Listen to me. It takes humility and faith are synonymous. If you're going to walk by faith, you have to be nourished from above. A prideful person is nourished from themselves. It takes, okay, let me just say this. If you don't have a faith project, you're walking in pride. If you are not currently believing God for something or someone right now, you're walking in pride. Well, why do you say that, Pastor? Because humility involves me being totally dependent upon God for everything that He's doing in my life. When I don't have a faith project, what I'm saying is, is that, oh, I'll get that on. I can do that. I, I, I can get that. I can do that. I'll do that. I want that. Who does that sound like? Satan. Sounds just like Satan. I will exalt myself. I will go up to the throne. I will sit on the throne. Amen? That's why when we have a faith project, it keeps us in that place of humility where I'm being satisfied from above. I always want to be satisfied from above. I don't want to live off of what I can produce. Amen? That is a prideful. See, we as men have been told, you got to get up early and you got to work hard and you got to put in the extra hours and, and you got to do all these things to be a man. And there is some truth to that. But that type of work, you have to be spirit-led in what you're doing. Otherwise, you're just being diligent. You're not being faithful. Don't confuse diligence and faithfulness. I've wondered, I've seen people, Lord, these people work so hard, but yet they never seem to get ahead. Why is that? And the Lord said, because diligence is somebody that's just working hard trying to make something happen. Faithfulness is that you got to do what you're told. And there's a lot of people that don't like to do what they're told. They have a better way. I have a better way. How many of us in God's given us a plan and we say, I got a better way, Lord, though. That's a good plan, Lord, but I got a better way. Jesus was offered a way out. He could have walked away from the whole thing. And he said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Do you realize that everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden, Jesus won back in the garden? Do you know by the simple fact that Jesus laying down his will? Our will is the single most powerful force on the face of the earth. My will can stop God from moving in my life just like that. My will can keep me from being healed. My will can keep me from being prospered. My will can keep me in a bad marriage because I choose to keep it that way. There is such a misconception that when we get saved and get married that somehow we lose our will. No, no, no. All we do now is just see how strong it really was to start with. Amen? Marriage is two people that are constantly learning to lay down their will. And when we don't do that, we develop a hard heart. And that's where divorce comes from. Amen? Let me finish with this.
Let's look at Luke 18. Thank you all for bearing with me this morning. Just a little bit different today. I don't know what that is. And this is Jesus speaking. Thank you, Lord. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves and were confident that they were righteous. That's not us, Lord. That they were upright and in right standing with God and scorned and made nothing of all the rest of men. He said, two men went up into the temple enclosure to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand ostentatiously and began to pray thus before and with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of men, extortioners, robbers, swindlers, unrighteous in the heart and life, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I gain. But the tax collector, merely standing at a distance, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his breast, saying, Oh God, be favorable, be gracious, be merciful to me, this especially wicked sinner that I am. I tell you this, that this man went down to his home justified, forgiven, and made upright in right standing with God, rather than the other man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. I think one of the ugliest things, and it's something that most of us can sniff out when you see it, is false humility. Amen. There is such a thing as false humility. When, when I was in my home, when I was a young man, I was a very, very rebellious young man. And so whenever I was getting corrected, it was very easy to see that I was being rebellious. My mom would say, Jack, it's day. No, it's night. I mean, I just would argue with you. It didn't matter. Amen. I was in your face. I was up front. I was toe to toe. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to be a part of anything. I was not correctable. I was not teachable. I had to be broken. Amen. And it took years to do that. But I had another brother. And when he got corrected, it went something like this. <sighs> you know, the Lord was just talking to me about that. And as I was praying, I just first want to thank y'all for being brave to come to me with this. Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> and then would walk out the room and do the exact opposite of what he said he was going to do. I was in your face and tell you I am not going to do it. This one would just butter the bread and just like, I just was just, the Lord is dealing with me. I'm not going to tell you which one. One, overtly rebellious, but the other, false humility. Amen? How many times have we tried to correct or receive correction and we're like, we know it's right, we know the correction is right, but then we walk out the door and do exactly what we want to do. Amen? Your humility will keep you, when the whole world is crumbling around you, your humility will keep you in a safe place. Because it will keep you in a place where you can hear God's voice. Prideful people don't hear God's voice. Humble people hear God's voice. And in the storms that are going on and everything that's happening in our world, we have to be in a place where we can hear God's voice. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.
Thank you, Lord. We don't ever want to end a service without um, giving an invitation. If you're new to West Houston Christian Center, this is your first Sunday, or maybe you've been here for a thousand Sundays, but you've never truly... We're not... hmm. There's a difference between asking Jesus to come into your heart and making Jesus Lord of your life. Amen? And what we're offering you this morning is what the Bible calls eternal life. And that is not just making Jesus a part of your life, but making Jesus the center of your life. So if you have never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to simply ask you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Dear Jesus, please forgive me, for I'm a sinner. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. Lord, show me how to be the man or the woman that you've called me to be. Fill me with your presence. Be my best friend in Jesus' name. Amen? If that's the first time that you've prayed that, then we would love to know about that. We want to help you in your journey. Jesus didn't say go make converts. He said go and make disciples. Amen? And discipleship is being taught and trained in the things of God. And we are, what's one of our strengths at West Houston Christian Center is we love to disciple. Amen. We love to teach people how to live in victory and how to walk in the fullness of the blessing.